Welcome back to another episode of Win Championship Repeat Boston Sports Podcast. And on this week's episode, we are going to be looking at the early matchup uh, notes on uh, the Patriots and uh, upcoming week's schedule. Then we'll be looking at the Celtics and how things are going with them. And then I want to look a little bit more at the situation involving the Red Sox this offseason, looking at their free agents, kind of giving a little more of a deep dive and sort of what I think should take place. So for the Patriots, obviously getting the win against the Jets was big. Moving on to a game against what is um, the Chargers. And the Chargers are a team that looks pretty good. They're 4-2. They are, you know, one of the best teams um, in their division. And they have a great quarterback in Justin Herbert, who's been doing very well. And um, basically they have a 62% chance to win the game, whereas the Patriots have a um, 38% chance. Um, And it's basically split right there. Um, the Patriots have great running backs, but so do the um, so do the Chargers with Austin Eckler as sort of their leading res- uh, running back, and they also have a good wide receiver core with Mike Williams uh, for sure. And you know it's a pretty solid situation um, in terms of who could be in the game. Brandon King, Josh Uchi, Kyle Van Noy, Dietrich Wise Jr., and Nick Folk are all questionable for. Um, for that game, and the Chargers um, have Kenneth Murray, Justin Jones, and Drew Traquil as the uh, questionable or injured reserve guys for their team, and so for the Patriots and the Chargers, it's going to be an interesting one. The Chargers lost to Dallas, lost to Baltimore, and won three games in the middle uh, against Cleveland, the Raiders, and Kansas City. Patriots have three losses, New Orleans, Tampa Bay, and Dallas, and two victories against Houston and the Jets. So as a Patriots fan, you've got to feel like this game is going to go in favor of the Chargers just because they're a better team, 2-1 at home. Uh, Patriots are 2-0 away, but, you know, they're just not looking as good overall. And so, so far, you know, Damian Harris has been their best rushing player, their best running back, but... They're not really 100% with their running backs, right? You're kind of relying on Damian Harris, who's a true number one running back, in my opinion. But then they're forcing themselves to use um, Brandon Bolden a lot when he's not really the greatest option. You're kind of using J.J. Taylor, at least in the last game, more than you should. And Ramondre Stevenson's a rookie who still needs a ton of time to develop because he could be the next Garrett Blunt, but he just needs time to kind of develop. And so the Patriots are kind of in a sticky situation here with this one. And, you know, obviously um, it's not ideal James White's out. They got rid of Sony Michelle, which at the time seemed like a solid move because they had enough pieces to kind of make it work. But at the end of the day, for for me personally, I don't think this is going to be a victory. And I think that it's going to be a tough uh, loss when it comes down to it. I think the Patriots just play good games against teams that aren't that good and play games that are so-so against teams that are much better. And so for the Patriots, that's kind of where they're at. And I guess we'll have to wait and see um, what ends up happening with the game. I think it's going to probably end up being a loss. But 
I think Mac Jones showed himself in the game against the Jets. I think, as I've been saying all along, if he's got the right pieces, it's going to work. He's going to be the greatest option. And, you know, I think that's where they have to go. So, moving on to the Boston Celtics, who have had a bumpy road, to say the least. They are 2-3, and three, and they are um, in a tie with Brooklyn, Toronto, for third place in the Atlantic Division. The obvious uh, New, uh, New York Knicks are 3-1, and one, and Philadelphia is 2-2. Two and two. But uh, Philadelphia could easily lose and drop back just a shade to be in this uh, boat with Toronto, Brooklyn, and Boston. Boston's been okay. They lost their first two. They ended up winning against the Houston Rockets in a very good game. Jason Tatum was the, the leading scorer with um, 31, uh, which was uh, very good. They also played um, a good game against the Charlotte Hornets, which if we're looking at um, how Charlotte did, um, they were good, but just not good enough uh, to beat the Boston Celtics. Um, and so, you know, that was a great game for Boston. There was that uh, monstrous dunk uh, by Jalen Brown over Bridges, which was uh, a big one. Tatum scored 41 and obviously had a very good game. 41 points, 8 assists, 7 rebounds. Robert Williams was 12 and 16. And I just want to point out for a second, uh, Robert Williams is averaging 10 points and almost 9 rebounds, uh, or actually over 9 rebounds, 9.2 rebounds. And looking at his last um, couple of games, he he was uh, pretty solid, 13 and 11, 12 and 16, you know, 16 and 10 against the Knicks in the first game. So he's been surprisingly doing pretty solid, some Mixed games here and there. Not awful. Dennis Schroeder, 23 points, 8 assists. Looking pretty good. Uh, 7 points for Marcus Smart, which was not good with 5 assists. Marcus Smart hasn't been doing that good at all, um, in my opinion. Only averaging 7.4 points and 4 rebounds and 4 assists. So, not traditionally good numbers for him. Jalen Brown had 30 uh, with 9 rebounds. Uh, not not bad at all. He's been doing great. Tatum and Brown have been doing great. Barry Parker had 13 with 5 rebounds, and Grant Williams had 9 points. And we saw a bunch of other players not get playing time in that one. And then we go to the uh, Washington Wizards, which was the most recent game, which was a loss. Obviously, um, could have been uh, a better performance, but it didn't go, obviously, in their favor. Which it's tough. Um, you know, it's tough to see. Um... Especially because, um, you know, Wizards are an okay team. They're not the greatest team. Uh, but it was um, a very tough one, to say the least. Montrezl Harrell was the, the, the favorite in this one for the other side. 25 points, 11 rebounds. And then 22 for Dinwiddle. We did, didn't did see the, the best game from Bradley Beal. He only had 17 points and 10 rebounds, which I guess is not awful. But not uh, the 25, 30-point games he's shown us before. Jason Tatum had 23, Al Horford had 16 and 11, 13 and 11 for Robert Williams, 13 for Jalen Brown, 22 off the bench for Schroeder. So I want to give you sort of my first looks. Tatum, Brown obviously have been the best players. They've done well. They've been averaging 
over 20 points a game, and they've been as good of players as you can get. Al Horford is surprisingly better than expected. He is someone who came here, and maybe he just fits this system. He's just been playing very, very good. I love how Al Horford's done. He's been you know, playing a lot of minutes at the power forward. He's been playing minutes off the bench. He is legitimately getting good numbers, surprisingly, and I like that. I think this is his team. And I think, you know, for Al Horford, he played here and was great and was doing as good. But he moved to Philadelphia where there was a logjam at that big man spot and a logjam of, you know, guys who can play sort of the power forward center. And I think the Celtics have enough players where if Horford plays the center, he plays the center. If he plays the power forward, he plays the power forward, right? Because the fact that Schroeder, and I'll get to him later, is a good starting point guard, and even Josh Richardson at times can be a good player. You could put Horford at the center and put Robert Williams on the bench and have someone else start in the lineup, whether that's Romeo Langford or Nesmith or whoever. Um, it's possible. So Horford's been doing great. Robert Williams has been doing pretty solid as well um, and is um, doing much better as the year goes on and better than last year. Marcus Smart. Not good. Marcus Smart has basically flopped a little bit, in my opinion. Has been doing as good as expected. Not saying he needs to, but he is someone who you expect to have big numbers and can't really do it at the moment. Off the bench right now, or in the starting lineup at times, Dennis Schroeder has been very, very good for $5 million a year. I think it's only one year contract. He's averaging 15 points, 3.8 rebounds. He got 22 in his... Um, last game 23 the game before 18 so schroeder has been playing surprisingly well has been doing as good as one can uh, expect from from him and i think he is someone who um, is a pretty solid player and has been you know getting it done when he needs to and as much as sort of um, things have been going wrong at times he has been a bright spot, and a very good bright spot for me, and I think is the right player um, to have, and I think he should be a starter on day one, and a starter all the time, because he's, he's a good, good piece to have, and I honestly think that it is a lot better having him around than uh, a lot of the other players out there, so what I will say, and this is just my opinion, is that he is a very solid asset and is doing what he needs to do to make this team better and deserves way more playing time because he is um, very, very good and is the right player for this team. So I like what he is doing, um, and uh, I think uh, things are going in the right direction for him and for their team. Hopefully their next matchup is against the Wizards. Hopefully it goes well. Uh, and we'll see where they go from here uh, moving forward. Um, I think, you know, things are going to look good. It does take take a while to get sort of the, the ball rolling and sort of get your juices flowing and get into the groove of things, especially when Josh Richardson's a new player, Al Horford's a new player. I mean, he was here, but he's coming back. You have Schroeder, who's new, and you have Romeo Langford, who's probably coming into his first season as a healthy player or as healthy of a player as you can get. And so I like this. I like what's going on. And I think their team is pretty solid. 
Moving on to the Boston Red Sox, and what I want to look at now is just a sort of overview of what has taken place with the Astros and sort of what I think their plan should be for the offseason. So when they played the Astros, they looked good and they looked a lot better than expected. Their team was pretty solid. They had a lot of great players um, surrounding them. But I think there's a lot of things that they need to do to potentially get better for next year. I think the series against the Astros showed us we need another starting pitcher. We need maybe some more relievers. And we need some guys who can kind of step in uh, when we need them and go from there. And I think for um, the Red Sox, they have a bunch of different things they need to do to get better and compete again. Because they have a great team, great players. They just need to, to get it done. So looking at first where the Red Sox are in terms of their free agents, we have a handful of guys. We have J.D. Schwarber, um, Garrett Richards, um, Adovino, Rodriguez, Martin Perez, Christian Vasquez, uh, Matt Andres, Hansel Robles, Santana, Travis Shaw, Austin Bryce, Brad Peacock, Taylor Motter, Jose Iglesias, and Chris Herman. So, J.D. has a player option. My guess is he's going to accept that. I don't see why he wouldn't. Schwarber has a mutual option, which the team can work with uh, that situation. Richards and Perez and Christian Vasquez and Matt Andres have club options. So, looking at the potential players on their team who could be free agents or otherwise, they need to keep J.D. unless he, you know, already just accepts player option. They need to keep Schwarber who is a great player. They need to keep Vasquez. Um, Resigning Schwarber, keep Vasquez. And if the price is too high, don't go for it. If it's a good price, keep Eduardo Rodriguez. So Rodriguez was a solid starter, a lefty, and is a good player to have. I think you need to keep him if you know necessary. So Rodriguez, keep him as well. And that's just what I believe. Next, and this is important, is make Schwarber your permanent first baseman and basically train him throughout the offseason and, you know, the training camp and, you know, going to Florida. He's got to play first base all the time. He's got to be doing everything to better himself at first base because he's most likely going to be when he and if he resigns the first baseman, right? I think Bobby Dalback is good off the bench, but really... It's going to be Schwarber. And Schwarber can play left field if they need him to. He could be a DH if they need him to. You know, Dahlbeck can play third or first or DH or whatever if they need him to. But Schwarber's going to be your permanent first baseman. He's not the ideal first baseman. But he is, to me, a first baseman they need to worry about. And I think that's what they need to do. So at the end of the day, that's number one. They have to bring back these guys and, more importantly, make sure Schwarber is going to be the guy who ends up taking uh, first base over and is playing first base as much as he can. Now, here's my next thing, trading away Christian Arroyo. So Christian Arroyo was surprisingly good this offseason. Not the greatest um, during the playoffs, but was decent. So for the team, they're trading him away, and they're going to trade him away for a reliever, and here's why. Now, I think, you know, they don't need him as much because of some of the moves I'll be talking about later. But he is someone who has some value. And I think as a starting second baseman, 
he wouldn't be the worst player in the world. So trading him away for a reliever is the best move. Maybe two relievers or another starter or something else. Um, trading him away is what you need to do, which sets up my next move, which is signing probably the best available second baseman, which is, at this opinion, Marcus Simeon, who is um, going to be um, available and potentially is someone they could sign, which I think they should. Marcus Simeon is a solid second baseman. He also can play shortstop, and I think he can play third at times. But the way it works is bringing him in, he'll be your starting second baseman, and then you basically have three very good players, Simeon, Xander, and Rafael Devers. In the infield, you also have um, Kyle Schwarber coming back at first, which that's about as good of a situation as you can get. I think Simeon can also start uh, lead off at times if you need him to. He's a decent, you know, base runner. Good on defense. Not the worst player. This is what they need to do. Simeon's coming in and fills that second base position very well. I originally thought about potentially just moving Kike to second base and bringing in another outfielder. But I think it's better off if we just go with Marcus Simeon for this um because I think he's a great second baseman, and that's a good situation. Next up is signing a right fielder, either Jorge Soler or Steven Souza Jr. are the two options. I don't think they need to go for one of the top-tier right fielders. I think this is more somebody else who can potentially take over if Renfro, they want to mix things up. And so, ideally, you'd want someone who's either a switch hitter or a left handed hitter because you have the right-handed hitter in um you know already Renfro so having a lefty can balance that out so either of those options would make a ton of sense to me I think that's what they should do potentially can do um just to give another outfielder in the mix and also someone who most likely could play at the you know right field position and if needed in other spots in the outfield let's say Kike has to move to second base or shortstop or whatever because of injuries, then you have someone who can take over as well. Then what they need is another uh, starting pitcher, assuming that you have, at this point, Chris Sale, Nathan Uvalde, you have Erod, you have Nick Pavetta, and Tanner Hook, who kind of are dual starter reliever group. You can switch them. Then you need another starting pitcher. So for the starting pitchers, in my opinion, there are about four names I'm going to throw down on this list that I think any of them could work depending on the price and how much uh, they cost and what's it going to be. So either, and I am choosing these uh, myself, Marcus Stroman, Alex Cobb, Danny Duffy, or Dylan Bundy. Now, what you're looking for ideally is a starting pitcher who is going to be someone that's very reliable. Not going to be the number one option, obviously. None of these guys are number one options. But what you're looking for is someone who can easily fill in, someone who can easily be sort of a healthier option, basically comes off the bench or is sort of your third, fourth, fifth option. He just is there, is healthy, and gives you like maybe six, seven innings a night if you're doing good or more, depending. So you want someone who's got longevity in his you know, arm and more importantly is healthy most of the time. So there are a bunch of different options. These are four options I throw out there. Um, maybe Alex Cobb might be the ideal choice of the group, or 
Um, I think um, Duffy also could be a good choice, but he, I think, is a lefty. So if you have Rodriguez and Chris Sale, do you want another lefty? Maybe not, but I'd say those four names, you can pick from any of those and go from there. Then the next uh, situation is adding uh, a closer, trading for a closer. Now, in theory, you could potentially trade Christian Arroyo for one of these closers if you are looking for one. Um, and that could be sort of the reliever that you go after. Um, you could also just trade him for other stuff. So the two closers that I threw out there as potential options for their team, the first one is with the Minnesota Twins, which is Alex Colom, and the other one is with Clevelandians Emmanuel uh, Clace. So I picked both of these as options because, A, these teams are, you know, not the greatest. They've got potential, but... Definitely not, you know, the teams to, you know, run away with uh, their division. And just the fact that, you know, they're solid closers um, makes for a lot of sense. Obviously, of the top tier teams, they're not going to want to trade away their closers um, who are, you know, available. And also just the fact that, you know, for example, the Angels have Raciel Iglesias, who's great, but he's someone who might cost you a lot to get him. And then you have teams like, obviously, the Giants and the Cardinals and Padres, uh, who are all very good teams trying to make the playoffs or made the playoffs. So basically adding in another reliever who is a closer between this group uh, makes a ton of sense. You can also go after someone who's kind of, um, you know, a cheaper option at the bottom. For example, you could go after Joe Barlow, who is with Texas Rangers. Or you could go with the Marlins, Dylan Floro would be an option. Or with um, another option, Cincinnati Reds uh, reliever Michael Gibbons is an option as well. Or you can go with the Tigers, uh, Gregory Soto. I don't know if he's going to cost you a lot, but you could potentially go with him. So I think they need a closer who's better than Matt Barnes and Adam Adovino and Hansel Robles. And the fact of the matter is... Robles and Adovino are free agents, so obviously you're going to want to get someone else in there, and to me, it doesn't seem like that's uh, a good choice going after um, some of the more um, experienced closers who are going to cost you a lot more. You're going to want to go after someone who's uh, maybe a cheaper option. So um, of the group, those are some of the closers that I think really... Uh, work so uh, we'll see what ends up happening uh, moving forward with that so that's pretty much what your team would look like in this sort of scenario if you will Vasquez would be your catcher you'd have Schwarber, Simeon, uh, Xander and Raphael Devers then you would have uh, Verdugo you'd have Kike at center and then you would have in the outfield um, Hunter Renfro with either uh, Soler or Souza Jr. as your backup and then you'd have Bobby Delbeck and most likely you'd have to add another player into the mix in terms of um, someone who can play um, you know the backup positions and so if they're looking for a backup sort of player at second base or third base or whatever I think they could go after someone like uh, an Eric Sogard or potentially go after someone like a Joe Panic who played second, third. Um, so that's an option. 
and then maybe get another starting pitcher. At this point, if we're going off of sort of my list here, you'd have Chris Sale as your number one or Uvalde. Uh, those are your one-two. You'd have Rodriguez. You'd have, um, at this point, your starting pitcher that you brought in in free agency. Let's just go with, um, I guess, Alex Cobb for sake of argument. And then you would have sort of uh, Tanner Hook and Nick Pavetta as sort of your fifth sort of starting option, which I think wouldn't be the worst uh, situation for them. So there we go, and I think that's where we see things going here. It's a good situation for the Red Sox, and that's kind of what I think could happen.